This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, as most of you regulars or listeners will know by now, one of my favorite programs from the Golden Age of Radio is Our Miss Brooks. The entire cast, from Eve Arden in the lead role to Osgood Conklin, the principal of Madison High, played by Gail Gordon. Tonight, you'll hear the wonderful Jane Morgan as Margaret Davis, Miss Brooks' absent-minded landlady, who has two trademarks, really, a cat named Minerva and a penchant for whipping up exotic and often inedible breakfasts. And, of course, there's Richard Crenna as Walter Denton, uh, High school student, well-intentioned and clumsy with a nasally high, cracking voice, which he can disguise when making mischief. He often drives, of course, Miss Brooks, his favorite teacher's school in a broken-down jalopy. Such wonderful word pictures are painted in this program. Let's listen in as Mr. Conklin provides yet again a pain where the sun don't shine once again for our Miss Brooks. Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Yes, it's time once again for Eve Arden in another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks written by Al Lewis. Well... For most of us, it's considerably harder to get up early on winter mornings than it is during the summer. But this isn't the case with our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. Maybe I'm just being perverse, but if I found it any harder to get up early in the winter than I do in the summer, I'd sleep right through the spring. (laughs) That's why Mrs. Davis, my landlady, had such a time waking me last Thursday morning. Connie, get up, Connie. Go away, Mrs. Davis. Come on now. You told me yourself that you wanted to get up at 6.30 sharp. I was lying. <laughs> I can't understand what makes you so difficult to wake up. Oh, it must be because of my dream. Your dream? Yes, I dreamt I was out very late last night. Oh. You did go out with Mr. Boynton last night, didn't you? I had dinner with the bashful one, yes. Was it an exciting evening, Connie? It was a rip snorter. <laughs> When we got to the front door, Mr. Boynton apologized for keeping me out until the wee small hours. What time was it, Connie? Five minutes of ten. (laughs) Of course, by the time he got finished saying goodnight, the way he says it, it was considerably later. What time was it then? Four minutes of ten. (laughs) Well, I'd better take my shower and get dressed, Mrs. Davis. All right, Connie. Mr. Boynton isn't the most romantic fellow in the world, is he? So far, Cary Grant has nothing to worry about. (laughs) Oh, this coffee was very good, Mrs. Davis. Oh, I'm glad you like it, Connie. Do you know what I put into the coffee grounds to get that flavor? Don't tell me. I want another cup first. (laughs) 
want some? No, thanks. I've been thinking about Mr. Bonington all morning. Why, Mrs. Davis, don't tell me I've got competition. <laughs> competition? Oh, of course not, Connie. Why, I'm old enough to be both your mothers. Oh, now, please, Mrs. Davis, you mustn't split up over us. <laughs> oh, that must be Walter Denton. I can tell because there's still some food on the breakfast table. I'll get it. All right, Connie. I'm going out in the yard for a few minutes. I've got to try to fix that incinerator. The incinerator? What's the matter with it? It caught on fire the other day. <laughs> I'll tell you about it when I come back. Should be interesting. You're right there. Good morning, Walter. Correction, Miss Brooks. It's a wonderful morning. A delicious morning. A morning dripping with ecstasy. Well, trickle in, happy boy. <laughs> what are you celebrating, Walter? Was Madison High swept out to sea by a tidal wave? Uh, of course not, Miss Brooks. It's me that's being carried along by a tidal wave. A tidal wave of emotion unprecedented in one of my tender years. It's as if I'd discovered a hidden wellspring in the core of my being. You'll find a blotter in the hall closet. <laughs> now, come on into the dinette. I was just finishing a cup of coffee. Oh, I'd be happy to join you in a bit of breakfast, Miss Brooks. Sit down, Walter. How about a glass of milk? Uh, a glass of milk and a few pieces of coffee cake will be fine, thanks. I'm glad you brought your beaming face over so early today. Maybe you can loan me a pint or two of ecstasy. What's it all about? Well, it's Harriet, Miss Brooks. I'm really in solid with her, and all because of a fortunate accident that happened yesterday afternoon. What kind of an accident? Well, yesterday after school, she was in the garage looking for a tennis racket, and her father's car was in the way. Now, you know how finicky old Marblehead is about the... <laughs> Mr. Conklin is about his car. <laughs> I know he doesn't let anyone drive it. Drive it? He doesn't let anybody come within six feet of it if he can help it. He even parks it himself in parking lots. Why, I've heard him boast that since the day he bought it, his car has been untouched by human hands. <laughs> How does he get it lubricated? And if you say by grease monkeys, I'll take away that cake. <laughs> oh, no, he does it himself, Miss Brooks. So you can imagine how nervous Harriet got when she tried to back it up a few feet in the garage and the wheels were turned too sharply and bang, she put a neat dent in the fender. That's when I got the inspiration that will forever endear me to Harriet Conklin. What did you do, smuggle her out of the country? <laughs> no, Miss Brooks. I decided to take the rat for what she'd done. Instead of obeying my normal, natural impulse to run like a crook, uh, I decided to face Mr. Conklin and take the blame. But Walter, Mr. Conklin isn't too fond of you as it is. I'll say he isn't. He can't stand the sight of me. <laughs> Say, Miss Brooks, I was inspired. So I went around to the front of the house. I strode boldly up the porch steps and faced Mr. Conklin's face, face to face. In the picture, let's face it. <laughs> Sir, I said, you're not going to like this, but the fender of your car has just been dented. And it was I, Walter Denton, who did the denton. <laughs> You've been reading too much Ogden Nash. <laughs> Conklin say to that, Walter? He said, Denton, I admire your honesty. That's all he said? Not another word, not another syllable. He just extended his hand and shoved me down the steps. <laughs> I knew there was some sort of punctuation. <laughs> but as I landed in the yard below, I felt a warm glow spreading around my heart. 
I question the geographical accuracy of that remark. No, it's the truth, Miss Brooks. I saw a look in Harriet's eyes. She helped me up that seemed to say, Walter Denton, I am forever your slave. And you know something, Miss Brooks? That system had worked for you, too. But, Walter, I can't be your slave. The Board of Education has a priority. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Mr. Boynton. Now, if you want to get in solid with him, all you've got to do is just what I did. What? Let Mr. Conklin shove me down the steps? <laughs> no, Miss Brooks. Take the rap for some jam that Mr. Boynton gets into. But Mr. Boynton doesn't get into any jams. How could I possibly take any raps for him? Maybe a jam could be arranged for Mr. Boynton. Mrs. Davis. <laughs> I couldn't help but hear your conversation, Connie. You couldn't? No, I had my ear to the keyhole. <laughs> Walter, I want you to know that I think you've got a wonderful idea. There. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis. Now, it shouldn't be too tough to figure out a way to get Mr. Boynton into some kind of trouble in school. Then you could take the blame for him, and he'd be so grateful. He wouldn't know what to do for you first. But I bet you could tell him. <laughs> but that would be framing a perfectly innocent man. But it's for his own good, Connie. He's just too shy to realize that you two were meant for each other. Now, it's quite early yet, so before you start out for school, let's all sit quietly and try to figure out the best possible scheme. Swell. We'll all concentrate. I've got it. What is it? I'll borrow Mr. Boynton's cigarette lighter and leave it in the principal's office as evidence. A cigarette lighter? What good would that do? Oh, I forgot to tell you. First, I'd set fire to Mr. Conklin. and plenty of time for me to try out the Walter Denton plan for obtaining the gratitude of the object of one's affection. Or as Walter so romantically put it, get him in the jam, take the wrap, and you got him in your pocket. <laughs> anyway, I headed directly for Mr. Boynton's biology lab. And knowing that Mr. Conklin's disposition wouldn't be improved any by the dent in his fender, I glided very carefully past his office. But I guess I wasn't careful enough. Miss Brooks. Whoops. <laughs> Morning, Mr. Conklin. On our toes this morning, aren't we? Yes, we are. Especially you. It's just that I didn't want to disturb you, sir. Very considerate of you. Now, if you don't mind, Miss Brooks, you can put your shoes on and step into my office. <laughs> there we are. Have a seat. Thank you, sir. As you know, Miss Brooks, I have high blood pressure. Yes, sir, I know. Sometimes when you get excited, your face gets so red, it looks like uh, a little... Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind the little word pictures, Miss Brooks. I know how I look when I get excited. What I wanted to tell you is that I saw you stepping out of Walter Denton's car this morning. Oh? I see you stepping out of Denton's car almost every morning when you come to school, and it rather fascinates me. What does? Well, you see, sometimes I park my car right in front of school. Sometimes a few yards to the right of it, and sometimes halfway down the block. But do you know something, Miss Brooks? No matter where I park it, Denton always manages to pull up alongside of it so that when you get out of his car, you have to slide your body the entire length of my car, making nick after nick in the paint job! <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Conklin. I had no idea I was so abrasive. <laughs> Well, it's not deliberate, I'm sure. 
But every third Sunday when I Simonize my car, I, uh, <laughs> I find a little nick here, a little nick there, here a scratch, there a scrape. Everywhere a scratch scrape. <laughs> I mean, I can understand your being annoyed, Mr. Conklin, but... I'm glad. You see, Miss Brooks, to me, a man's car is a most personal possession. As personal, you might say, as his toothbrush. Well, in the future, Mr. Conklin, you can rest assured that I'll make every effort not to bump into your toothbrush. That's hard. <laughs> Thanks, Miss Brooks. Oh, before you go, there's one more thing. Yes? Make a little effort to avoid bumping into Mr. Boynton so often, too. You know how I stand on fraternization between faculty members? Mr. Boynton and me? Why, just put it out of your mind, Mr. Conklin. That's a thing of the past. Oh, really? Of course. Why, if I were the only woman in the world and Mr. Boynton was the last man on earth... Yes, Miss Brooks? I'd like to leave a call for Tuesday. <laughs> so you see, Mr. Boynton, although I don't like to lecture, these little visits have just got to stop. That's all there is to it. But why, Miss Brooks? I, I like your dropping into my lab like this. Well, that's the end of that lecture. Any questions? <laughs> oh, honestly, I don't see why Mr. Conklin's so strict about teachers passing the time of day once in a while. What harm does it do? Well, it does slow up our work some, I suppose. Although I haven't anything urgent to do at the moment. In fact, I was just doodling on this scratch pad. You see, it's a sketch of one of my white mice. Hey, that's very cute. How is everything with you, Mr. Boynton? Fine, Miss Brooks. No trouble on the horizon at all? That is, everything sailing along smoothly for you? Smooth as silk. Oh. Let me have that mouse you just drew and that pencil. Thanks. Now, when I put this little mustache on him, who does it remind you of? Gee, I don't know. Here, I'll give you a hint. There. Well, when you put his name on it, it does look quite a bit like Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Say, that reminds me. I've got some reports to turn into him this morning. Oh, I'll do it for you. I'm going right by his office. Are you sure it's no trouble? Trouble? It's my opportunity. I mean, I'll be glad to leave these reports for you. <laughs> See you later, Mr. Boynton. All right, Miss Brooks, and thanks. Now I'd better tear up that drawing with Osgood Conklin's name on it, or he might... Well, that's funny. It disappeared. Oh, Miss Brooks, just a minute. What is it? Uh, did you happen to pick up that drawing I... Miss Brooks, what's that you're stuffing in the envelope with my reports? Please, Mr. Boynton, I never stop. Let's see that a minute. <laughs> but, Mr. Boynton, if you don't get reports in promptly to Mr. Conklin, he gets furious. Miss Brooks, look at this picture. Eek, a mouse. <laughs> yes, and with a mustache. Now, I, I wish you'd tell me what he's doing in there with my reports. Maybe there's some cheese in the envelope. <laughs> well, this is no laughing matter, Miss Brooks. I could have gotten into a fine jam with Mr. Conklin. Yes, it could have been a beauty. Uh, but there's no harm done, Mr. Boynton. I would have discovered it before I got to Mr. Conklin's office, and I... Well, you don't think I intentionally... Mr. Boynton, how dare you accuse me of what I just did? Well, why are you sitting way over here, Miss Brooks? I just saw Mr. Boynton at the other end of the cafeteria. Well, if you must know, Harriet, I'm staying away from Mr. Boynton because of your father. Oh, Daddy won't be up to the cafeteria today. He's been terribly upset since I dented his fender yesterday. Walter Denton took the blame for it, though. He's just an angel, Miss Brooks. Yes, I heard he flew down the steps beautifully. <laughs> but ever since it happened, Daddy's been on a rampage. He's positive he's got an ulcer. Really? Can he afford one? 
I mean, I'm sorry to hear it. Daddy called the cafeteria a little while ago and had them prepare a special lunch for him to eat in his office. Plain broth and a whole boiled chicken. Walter's bringing the tray over from the steam table now. I promised Daddy I'd bring it right down to his office. Well, here we are, Harriet. This ought to stop the old lion from growling for his vittles. Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Walter. Thanks, Walter. I'll rush it right down to him. Oh, just a minute, Harriet. I was just thinking. I've got to go back to my room for a minute. Why don't you stay here and eat your own lunch and let me take the tray for you? Well, well, that's very nice of you, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's nothing at all, Harriet. Here, give me the tray, Walter. Are you sure you'll drop it right in Daddy's office? Nothing would give me greater pleasure. (laughs) Walter, will you walk out of the cafeteria with me for a moment? Oh, sure, Miss Brooks. Excuse me, Harriet. Certainly, Walter, dear. See how nice she is to me. How are you doing, Miss Brooks? Think of any way to get Mr. Boynton into a jam? I think I've got an idea, Walter, but you've got to help me. While he's out, I want you to take this tray into Mr. Boynton's laboratory. Just put a little note on it saying compliments of the cafeteria. And whatever you do, don't mention this to Harriet. But, Miss Brooks, this lunch belongs to Mr. Quiet, Walter. His office is just a few doors down the hall. You started me on this thing. Now the least you can do is cooperate. Well, okay, Miss Brooks. I'll put it in the lab right away. I sure hope you know what you're doing. I sure hope you get your hope. Well, what is it? May I see you for a moment, Mr. Conklin? Oh, come in, come in. Uh, There's something I'd like to tell you, sir. Very well, but be brief. Oh, I will. I know this is your feeding time, or lunchtime. (laughs) It is past my lunchtime. The I ordered should have been here a half an hour ago. Well, that's what I came in to talk to you about. It might be some sort of a prank, and although I'm not the one to go in for informing, Mr. Prank? Who took my lunch? I don't know, I'm sure. But I thought if you wanted me to, I could inspect some of the laboratories, uh, classrooms, and see who the the guilty party might be. A splendid suggestion, Miss Brooks. Only instead of you inspecting the classrooms, I'll do it myself. Yourself? Oh, but you're not a well man, Mr. Conklin. You you can't leave this office now. Uh, Step aside, Miss Brooks. I'm going to locate my lunch or else. I'm glad you got to class before any of the others, Walter. I'm in the spot. Yeah, but Miss Brooks... When I had you put that lunch tray in Mr. Boynton's lab, I wanted him to see it before I transferred it to my room and told Mr. Conklin that somebody had played a prank on me. Yeah, I know, Miss Brooks, But Mr. Conklin insisted on making the rounds himself, and now... Walter... Isn't that the lunch tray on my desk? Yeah, that's what I've been trying to explain, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton already had lunch, so when he found it in the lab, he brought it down here to your room. He said he wanted to treat you. Oh, fine. (laughs) Well, there's no time for any more schemes now. I'd better sneak his lunch into Mr. Conklin's office while he's out looking. Oh, there's something else I've got to explain, Miss Brooks. Although Mr. Boynton had his lunch and I knew you'd had yours, I didn't have mine. So rather than take a chance of getting caught in the hall with it, I ate it. Let's see it Oh, there's nothing left but a skeleton I've got to get rid of this tray immediately Quick, Walter, open the window I'll take these dishes and lower them out Just a moment, Miss Brooks What's that you're holding in your hand? For all practical purposes, my death warrant You see, Mr. Conklin Silence! I... Put it down on your desk, please Thank you So you wanted to hunt through the classrooms yourself, eh? A very clever red herring, Miss Brooks, but it just didn't work. I'll deal with you later, of course. But for now, I'll just take my lunch. And... My lunch? What happened to it? This chicken is nothing but skin and bones. He's been working very hard lately. (laughs) 
Thompson. I'll explain it all later. I'll think of something. Uh, just go to your office and relax. Why, I'll bring you a tray that'll make you feel like a million dollars. There's only one thing I want you to bring me on a tray, Miss Brooks. And that's your head. <laughs> Certainly glad school's over, Mr. Boynton. I thought this day would never end. Well, me too. Mr. Conklin was in a pretty bad mood, wasn't he? I can't understand it. He's got such a fine teaching staff, you'd think he'd be happy. Well, here's my car, Miss Brooks. Uh, if you haven't made any other plans, or, well, that is, I, I thought maybe if, uh, if you didn't have a ride with some other, well, uh, what would... Would you like me to, uh... I'm already in, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> oh. oh, fine. I- I'll get in. Now, we'll just... Uh-oh. I seem to be jammed in between two cars here. Oh, it is pretty tight. Bumper to bumper. Now, I-, I just have to start my motor and push the car in front of me a bit. People persist in leaving their cars in gear. You've got enough room now, Mr. Boynton. You can stop pushing the car in front of you. I have stopped. That car's rolling by itself. Miss Brooks, what'll I do? Well, there's nothing you can do. Maybe it'll stop by itself. been right today. (laughs) Come on. Look at that fender, crumpled like an accordion. Let's see who the car belongs to. Miss Brooks, can you see the certificate on the steering wheel? Quite clearly, Mr. Boynton. It says, and I quote, Osgood Conklin. (laughs) Osgood Conklin? Well, I I guess I'll have to face the music. You, You wait right here, Miss Brooks. I'm going in and report this to Mr. Conklin. Well, that's a fine insurance company you're with, Gibbons. I'm sorry, Mr. Conklin, but our inspector looked at the fender this morning and he says the dent can be hammered out for about $40. But I don't want it hammered out. I want a new fender. What am I paying insurance premiums for? Sorry, Mr. Conklin, a new fender would cost over $150 and the dent you have doesn't justify it. Since your policy is a $50 deductible, you'll have to stand the expense yourself. Bye. But, Mr. Gibbons, I... Mr. Gibbons, Mr. Gibbons, Mr... He hung up on me. Well, of all the colossal nerves. Oh, pardon me, sir. What do you want, Poynton? I, uh, I wish to report an accident, sir, an automobile accident. Automobile accident? Anybody hurt? Not yet. <laughs> you see, sir, uh, uh, it was your car. My car? Yes, sir. You had me locked in at the curb, and I had to give it a little push, and the brake wasn't on, and, well, it, it didn't stop till it hit a tree. A tree? What happened to it? Oh, nothing happened to the tree, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> but your, your fender, it's, uh, it's just... Smashed up pretty good, Boynton? Mangled. Really wrecked, eh? <laughs> oh, Boynton, that's wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. You mean, you mean you're happy about it? Well, of course. I'll show that insurance company they... Oh, wait a minute. That fender couldn't be hammered out, could it? Oh, definitely not. Atta boy, boy! 
this, my boy. You've done me a real turn. Don't you see? I had a little dent in the fender, but the insurance company wouldn't replace it. But now they'll have to. Do you hear me? They'll have to. <laughs> Wait. Mr. Conklin, you're barking at the wrong tree. I mean, I alone am responsible for what just happened to your car. You? But Mr. Boynton said... Never mind what Mr. Boynton said. Uh, Now, see here, Miss Brooks. There's no necessity for you to go... Excuse me, Mr. Boynton. I'll handle this. No, Mr. Conklin, I know you're angry at me as it is, but I cannot let an innocent person try to shield me. You can go now, Mr. Boynton. Leave here a free man. But, Miss Brooks... You can thank me some other time. Tonight, say. (laughs) But I, I, I don't understand. Why are you trying to take credit for this, Boynton? Credit? Credit? Look, Mr. Conklin, I don't understand a lot of things that have happened here today, so if you'll excuse me, I'll take Miss Brooks' suggestion and then leave here a free man. But, Mr. Boynton, I don't... Now, what's the matter with him? What difference does it make who did what, as long as I'm pleased? Miss Brooks, you have no idea what you've just done for me. You're so right. And you, Mr. Conklin, have no idea what I have just done to me. But I told you I'm not angry. Why are you still up a tree? If an English teacher may correct a principle, Mr. Conklin, it isn't a tree that I'm up. What I'm up, and without a paddle, is a creek. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I corralled Mr. Boynton before he got into his car again and explained that I thought he was in trouble and was merely coming to his rescue. I'm afraid I don't approve such heroics, Miss Brooks. You see, I've always liked to stand on my own two feet. It's a trait I inherited from my father. Really? Yes, Miss Brooks. I've gotten where I am today without the help of any woman. I'm rather proud of that, and so is my father. Mr. Boynton, could I have his address? His address? What for, Miss Brooks? I want to send your father a card on Mother's Day. <laughs> Next week, we're into another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Mustard Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Nick Carter, Master Detective, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Nick Carter, Private Detective. case for that most famous of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the case of Detective Fiction, Nick Carter, Master Detective. Tonight's curious adventure, The Corpse in the Cab, or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Murder in the Park. (laughs) 
Taxi! Taxi! Uh, Mr. Ramsey, you are very kind indeed to take such an interest in this uh, problem. My dear fellow, I consider it my civic duty. Uh, taxi! Ah, here's a cab now. Yes. Okay, gents, make it snappy. We're blocking traffic. All right. You get in first. My party, you know, my party. Thank you. Where to, gents? I guess the quickest way to get there is through the park. Yes, drive through the park. I'll tell you where to turn. Okay. I believe it is on West 54th Street. And there's a flag out there. Uh, excuse me, uh, uh, driver. Yeah? Uh, do you mind if I shut this glass partition between us? Go right ahead, boss. You're paying the fare. Here, yeah, let me do it for you. Uh, well, that's better. Nice winter evening. Stars twinkling. Ought to pick us up for the grim business ahead. Uh, lucky thing I ran into you. Lucky thing. <laughs> yes, indeed, Mr. Ramsey. It seems fate destined me to make your acquaintance this afternoon. Yes, lucky thing. <laughs> Just my little way of keeping air out of the windpipe. Oh. There you are, my dear fellow. <sighs> Mighty lucky thing I ran into you tonight. You gotta help me, Nick. You gotta. They'll slap me and stir. Now take it easy, Shorty. Take it easy. Now tell me again exactly what happened. Like I said, two guys hail my cab. One of them says to drive through the park. He'll tell me where to turn out. And when you get out of the park? The one guy opens the petition again and says to pull up. He's getting out. He tells me to drive the other guy to the precinct police station. And, Nick, if I hadn't looked around when I came to the intersection and seen what I seen, I'd have driven right up to the pool house with a dead body in my cab. Me, Shorty Bentano. You don't remember what the man looked like, Shorty. In the dark? I ain't got cat's eyes, Nick. Gee, what's that? You are jumpy. And just Patsy buzzing me in the talkback. Oh. Nick, in the inimitable words of Mr. Winchell, my stomach and my backbone are now a twosome. When do we eat? Enough to order yourself a sandwich, Patsy. We've got work to do. Work? Tonight? Mm hmm. And, Patsy, get me a police headquarters. Lieutenant Riley. Okay, Nick. You're going to turn me in, Nick? I thought you'd help me. I am going to help you, Shorty. But the sooner the police know about the murdered man outside in your cab, the better it is for you. You're crazy, Nick. I done time. I ain't got a chance. If the cops find that stiff in my buggy, it's curtains for me. I'm getting out of here. Shorty, sit down there. Nick, they'll give me the hot seat for something I never done. No, they won't, Shorty. Not while my name's Nick Carter. Nick. Not one bit of identification on this body. No bullet trace, no knife, no nothing. What did you want the murderer to do, Riley? Leave his calling card? Uh, I'm always getting stuck with one of these dud cases. It takes months to solve them. We don't even know who this stiff is. Now, Riley, flash your light inside here again. Sure, sure. Yes. You see something? I'm just looking. <laughs> <laughs> 
You see, his pockets are turned inside out. Uh, the motive was robbery, all right. No, Riley, I don't think so. Huh? Doesn't look prosperous enough to rob. Ah, Nick, you're always looking for what's not there. That might mean something, too. Now, hmm? ah, Riley, evidently the murderer didn't care to have his victim's identity uncovered too soon. Hey, what are you looking at his hands for, Nick? Riley, have your laboratory analyze this white powder under the nail of his right index finger. Well, say that there is something under his fingernail. Yes. I have an idea. You'll find it's chalk. Chalk? But sure, you're a smart one, Nick. With these lily white hands, hey, this guy was a pool player, a professional, maybe. Huh? Maybe. But don't bank on it. Now, Riley, about Shorty. I'm holding him, Nick. Never fear about that. Now, look, Riley, he's a favorite of me. Don't pull him in yet. Oh, great jumping banshees, Nick. I've got to. Listen, Riley, he had nothing to do with this murder. If he were a party to it, he'd have dumped the body out somewhere, wouldn't he? Well... I'll tell you what. Shorty's been on the right side of the fence ever since he got out of the big house. And he's given me a hand on cases from time to time. Yeah, I know. You owe him a favor, and I owe you a barrel of them. Well, that's about it. Well, okay. I'll shut my eyes for 24 hours. No longer, though, mind you. Thanks, Riley. Uh, Nick, well, where are you going? To find a murderer. Boy, this is some buggy you got here, Nick. Four speeds ahead, a siren, two searchlights... Anytime you need a chauffeur regular, I'll hire Ron. Like driving my car. Huh? It's like handling a baby carriage. Uh oh, we're turned into 54th Street now, Nick. All right, Shorty. Slow down a little. Now, what was it you heard your passenger say? One says the quickest way to get there is through the park. I'll tell you where to turn off. And then the other guy says it's on West 54th Street and there's a flag out. And then the other guy shuts the partition, and I don't hear no more. Now, 54th Street doesn't run very far here on this side. I don't see nothing on this block. Flags, flags. Usually in public buildings, aren't they? You think maybe this is going to be a clue, Nick? Shorty, everything's a clue when you don't have much to go on. Nick, look. Flagpole. Yeah, very handsome flagpole. Yeah, but it's a police station. A police station? Good. What's good about it? Let's get out of here. You're safe until tomorrow night, Riley. Riley keeps his word. You want I should uh, keep going slow? Nope. I got the first link in our chain. You can put the speed on again. Where to now? To pick up Patsy. I sent her to the Bureau of Missing Persons on 30th Street. Ah, Nick. Another cop house. I don't like them places. George Day, 2345 Elmhurst Drive, occupation truck driver. When last seen, was wearing gray coveralls. No, he's not the one. Gee, Nick, the guy ain't been missing long enough for anybody to get excited about it. He's only been dead a few hours. I'm playing a hunch, Shorty. Oh. You want me to read the rest of the names on the list, Nick? Wait a minute, Patsy. Hmm? Do you have a school teacher on the list? Yes. How did you know? Never mind. What did it look like? Well, let me see. Um, there. Ivan Johnson... Number two, St. Anne's Drive. Occupation, professor of ancient history. Good. When last seen, was wearing dark blue overcoat, gray hat, white shirt, blue tie, and always wears... Wears pince-nez glasses. Yes. So did our corpse. The glasses were missing at the time, but the bridge of his nose bore prints of them. Boy, I'm glad I'm going straight. 
Even the dead wake up and talk when Nick Carter gets on the case. Nick, how in the world did you know it would be a school teacher? Well, I didn't for sure. But nose glasses, plus chalk under the nail of the index finger, plus a sensitive face and a general appearance added up to teacher for me when I looked at the corpse. Next, I figured if he were a school teacher, he'd be expected home by five o'clock. His wife or family would be unduly worried if he hadn't showed up by eight or so and would call the missing persons bureau. But who'd want to murder a poor school teacher? One step at a time, Missy. And we know this much already. Our Mr. Johnson intended going to the 54th Street police station when he and his murderer hailed Shorty's cab. Oh, I see, Nick. Then you think that Professor Johnson was killed because of something he intended to tell the authorities. Mm -hmm. Simple the way he tells it, ain't it? One, two, three. Yes, you're very clever, Mr. Carter. But don't you think maybe his wife could tell us what it was he was going to tell the cops? Perhaps he told her first. Yes, Patsy, that's just what I do think. Uh, what was his address? Mm, just a minute. Oh, yes, here it is. Number 2 St. Anne's Drive. Right. Okay, Shorty. Take us to number 2 St. Anne's Drive and hurry. Mrs. Johnson, I'm Nick Carter. And this is my assistant, Patsy Bowen. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Johnson? Did the police send you, Mr. Carter? Did they find him? Did they find my husband? I'm only here to ask you a few questions concerning your husband. Oh, then they haven't found him. I, uh, I really can't say. Now, tell me, did your husband mention whom he was going to see after school hours today? Ivan always comes right home after his classes. I thought that he might have had some special appointment today. Oh, no, no. Mrs. Johnson, how was your husband feeling when he left for school this morning? Oh, he, he was in such a mood this morning. Talked about right and justice until my, my head fairly whirled. You know, he doesn't like to see people cheated, Mr. Carter. Ivan's a very honest person. What do you mean, cheated, Mrs. Johnson? He said he wasn't going to stand by and see the students in his school tricked out of their dimes and quarters. He was going to see right and justice done. The kids are being cheated. Uh, what school is this? Central High School. Ivan is the ancient history professor. He's taught there for 12 years. And where's his office there? Why, he's at the same office all that time. Number 12 on the first floor. I've always been happy about that. It's such a sunny little room. Well, Mrs. Johnson, you've been very helpful. Do you think they'll find him tonight? Do you think something terrible has happened? Why, the police will keep you informed. Good night. Good night, Mrs. Johnson. Try to get some sleep. Oh, thank you, but I, I, I couldn't. Not till Ivan's home. Safe. Nick, I thought you were going to the school where Professor Johnson taught. That's not over here in the West Side Business District. Glad to see you on your toes, Patsy, and working on all four cylinders. Nose to the grindstone, shoulder to the wheel, and all that. I'm proud of you. All right, all right. But what are we doing over here? In just a moment, you'll see for yourself. This is the place, Nick. Right, sorry. All right, come on, Patsy. Want me to go with you, Nick? No, you stay here and keep your eyes open. Okay, and good luck. Come on, Patsy. We still got a lot to do if we want to keep Shorty out of Lieutenant Riley's foul clutches. I'm glad they didn't lock the front door in this office building tonight. Hey, that's funny. There's no night watchman here. There usually is. Well, Patsy, never look a gift horse in the teeth. No watchman, no trouble. 
Hey, it's spooky in here. There's one little light in this whole foyer. Wish we'd brought Jody in with us. He'll do us more good, keeping watch outside. You really think this is where Ivan Johnson was this afternoon? We know Shorty picked him up in front of this building. And this is the only office building in this block. All the rest are warehouses. It's pretty deserted, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And the elevators, of course, have stopped for the night. And this is a ten-story building. Well, Nick, maybe if we look at the directory board, we'll be able to figure out what office Professor Johnson mm-hmm. might have visited. That's what I'm hoping. Now, let's see. Ah, uh, doesn't seem to be a name on this directory that helps us out at all. There isn't, is there? Oh, Nick, what'll we do? Doesn't take much brain work to figure that one. Maybe we can tell if we have a look at the doors of the offices in this building. So, we just have to go from office to office. Now, come on, let's start climbing. <laughs> There's nobody on this floor. All doctors and dentist offices. Don't think Johnson's business was with any of them today. Come on, up we go. See anything on this floor, Nick? No, nobody or nothing to interest a school teacher. Nick, I just don't think I can make another floor. You've got to, Patsy. We must cover every floor. Well, this is the top. Yeah. And we don't know any more than we did before. Nick, this place is as empty as a number two ration book. We might as well... What is it? thought I heard something. Nick. Someone in that office. Yeah. And yet the lights are out. The name on the door says Gerald Ramsey, promotion counselor. Let's pay him a visit. Stay behind me now, to the left of my flash. All right. <laughs> and who is flashing that pretty light in my office at this time of night? Mr. Ramsey. That's my name. And yours? Nick Carter. Surely you don't mean that you're Nick Carter, the great detective. That's who he is, Mr. Ramsey. Sorry to bother you, Mr. Ramsey, but my assistant and I were just having a look around this building. Oh, well, too bad the fuse is blown out of my office here. Or you could have a good look. (laughs) Who are you after? You don't happen to know of any business in this building that might have dealings with a schoolteacher, do you? A schoolteacher? Mm-hmm. Let me see. A schoolteacher? Why, no, uh, no, there is. I never heard of it. But then there's such a lot I never heard of. Uh-oh. Oh, you... You knocked over that whole stack of packages. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Ramsey. I, I dropped my handkerchief and I was leaning over to pick it up. Is there anything breakable in them? Oh, no, 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 it's quite all right. Oh, thank goodness for that. Yes, uh, just some things a friend of mine left here until he came back. Just leave them there. I'll take care of them. No, at least let me pick them up. No, 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 no. Uh, never mind, just stay them there. They, uh, they won't mind staying where they are for a while, I'm sure. Well, all right, if you say so. Yes, I do. So you can just run along and continue your search for whatever it was you were looking for. Good evening. Good evening. Now, Patsy, if you're okay, we better be on our way. Sorry we disturbed your, uh, reverie, Mr. Ramsey. Reverie. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Really? 
He was an odd specimen. Think he knows anything, Nick? Well, if he does, he isn't talking. Come on. Oh, gosh, Nick, all that climbing up and downstairs just for nothing. I'm worn out. Maybe it wasn't all for nothing, Betsy. You mean you found a clue somewhere here? I don't mean anything, yet. Oh, but Nick... I hope you could still walk well enough to get down the ten flights of stairs ahead of us, Betsy. I don't feel quite like carrying you just now. I guess I can make it under my own power. Where to now? Central High School. Time's a-wasting. And we still haven't uncovered a clue to the murder of the man in Shorty's cab. Nick, what do you expect to find in a schoolhouse at this time of night? Clues to Johnson's murder, I hope. Oh, it's no use, Nick. The janitor's not here. I'll have one more try. That racket should wake up the ghost of Hamlet. Hmm. No answer. So? So Nick Carter's trusty pick lock will do the trick. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's black as pitch in there. Stay right beside me. It seems to me I heard that one before tonight. And look, Nick. Hmm? I barked my shins in the dark in that, that character's office. And so if you don't mind, this time I'd like to see where I'm going. Okay, Betsy. I'll use my flash and keep it down low. Shin height. No, that's better. Now, come on. Better hurry or our friend Shorty's going to be sitting in the clink with a murder rap pinned on him. Okay. And she said his office was on the first floor, didn't she? Mm, yes, number 12. All bright and sunny. Here we are, Nick. Number 12. I wish it were bright and sunny in here now. This time we'll just dispense with the formalities of announcing ourselves. The door's open, Nick. Yes. So it is. Come on. Snap on the light, Betsy. Switch is right behind you. Okay. Hey. Yeah, looks like somebody else has given Mr. Johnson's room a going over. I'm afraid we got here too late. Papers all over the floor, window wide open. What do you suppose they were looking for? Same thing we are, Patsy. Clues. Except for a different reason. You think it was a murderer? Could be. Oh. What are you reading, Nick? This poster on the wall here. Oh. A dollar buys a destroyer, high school students. Subscribe just one dollar to the high school victory league and help buy a destroyer. That's the second time tonight I've seen something like that. A dot. Oh, where's my hanky? Need any help? No, I've got one right here in my pocket. Here. Hey, wait a minute. Where'd you get this? What? The sticker that came out of your pocket with a handkerchief. Well, I don't know, Nick. Why? Why? It's got the same legend stamped on it that that poster has. Victory League. Well, so it has. Did you buy this sticker? No, I buy my destroyers by buying war bonds. Well, think, Patsy. Where did you get it? It was in your pocket with your handkerchief. Well, I don't know, Nick. I, I never put anything in this little pocket except my handkerchief. I can swear to this sticker when well, I'm... But... See anybody? No. No. Nobody here now. Are you okay, Patsy? Well, I guess so. 
What happened? I just happened to look up in time to see a man poking a gun through the open window. So that's why you pushed me out of the way so fast. Yes, there was no time to be polite. Thanks, Nick. Did you recognize the man at the window? No. Too bad. But he got away. Gee, Nick, you certainly shot that light out fast. Well, if he can't see us, he can't shoot us. A very logical deduction, Mr. Carter. Hey, Patsy. Hmm? Give me that sticker you picked up tonight. You think it means something to this case? You bet I do. I've just remembered where I've seen one like it. Hooray, Nick. Never mind now. Well, Patsy, this case is beginning to add up. I'm not mistaken, the sticker splits it wide open. Come on, I've got a job for you to do on your own, and right now. That means you've got a job that you're going to do on your own. Right. Now, this is the plan. And if it works, we'll nail our murderer red-handed. You know I'm in here. Did you get the fuse fixed? Yeah. While I was fixing it, I got something else, too. Come on in, you. Here, snap on the light and see what I picked up snooping around down the basement of this building. See? Nick Carter. Well, well, well. Mr. Carter, back again. Still looking for the same thing? No, I found what I was looking for. Oh, good. Good. It's very fine. I already lifted his rod, boss. What'll I do with him now? Huh? You've had your chance, my dear fellow. Now it's mine. You know, I have a general impression you men don't like me very well. Oh, sure, Mr. Carter. We love you. But we'll love you a lot better when you don't talk no more. But very bluntly, Mr. Carter, but that is the idea. Now, Mr. Ramsey, just what do you think I could say that would harm you? Now, don't let him fool you, boss. When I was hiding in the bushes outside the window back there at the schoolhouse, I heard him tell the dame the case was wide open. Shut up, Lefty. Oh, so it was you who took those shots at us through the window. Yeah, and you ain't gonna do nothing about it. Hmm, you was pretty smart, though, figuring out it was Mr. Ramsey what rubbed out the school teacher. You ought to complete it. He'd stop that fool tongue of yours. Ah, what's a dip, boss? He ain't gonna live to tell it. Hmm, true. That's true, Yes, yeah, since you know so much already, we have only one recourse, Mr. Carter. Give me the gun, Lefty. Yeah, yeah, boss. This one's on me. Just a minute, Ramsey. As long as I'm not going to live to tell it, maybe you'll confirm a deduction I made. Certainly, my dear fellow. The condemned man is always granted one last request. Speak up. This high school victory league's a fauna, isn't it? You're playing on the patriotism of school kids to get them to donate their money to build destroyers and planes. But the money never gets any further than your own pocket. Isn't that it? Oh, yes, Mr. Carty. Since you put it bluntly that way, I am forced to admit that you're entirely correct. But may I ask what it was that led you to believe that I was behind the league? Yes. When I was at Professor Johnson's office, I saw a poster on the wall advertising your dirty league. Oh, please, Mr. Carty. I mean just that. Swindling high school students out of their few dollars in the name of a patriotism that you never knew the meaning of is about the lowest form of stealing that I know of. Oh, just let me take a poke no, will you? No, no, no. We can afford to be good-natured. Mr. Carter hasn't much time left, you know. You go on, Mr. Carter. As I said, I saw the poster on the wall advertising your dirty racket. And then Patsy found one of your stickers in her handkerchief where she'd picked it up off your floor. I recall then seeing that each of the packages she knocked over in here had a sample sticker pasted on it. It was easy enough then to put two and two together and get the required four. It's too bad that your undoubted excellence in mathematics can't save you. And all because one little school teacher suspected his kids were being cheated. Poor Professor Johnson. It is too bad for him that I found him wandering around this building, looking for the offices of the high school victory league. 
He told me he suspected it was a phony outfit. And he was going to see right and justice done. <laughs> I offered to take him right to the police station. And I did. <laughs> Although I wasn't with him when he got there. <laughs> Very funny. Yes. Hurry up, boss. We got work to do. Yes. Well, Mr. Carter, this is it. <laughs> Blasts and banshees, Nick. Don't do this to me again. I tell you, my nerves won't stand it. Oh, what's the matter, Riley? You got your men. They're lying on the ground here, howling like stuck pigs. Yeah, sure, but, but what if I hadn't hit him when he aimed at you, Nick? And what if I'd missed? So, Nick, your plan worked beautifully. The whole thing. Getting yourself found by Ramsey's henchmen and my getting Riley up here to hear the confession and everything. Yeah, Patsy, but, but gee, don't run such a split-second chance of life and death again, Nick. My heart won't stand it. Well, that was worth it. Just to see Ramsey walk into the trap like a bear looking for honey. Hey, Nick. Oh, Shorty, come on in. Take a look at our handiwork. Gee, so that's the bum who tried to frame me to the hot seat. He'll be getting it himself before long, thanks to Nick Carter. Riley, I want to tell you something. Of all the criminals I've tracked down, catching Ramsey gave me the most pleasure. A fellow like that trading on the patriotism of school kids is about the lowest rat in the world. Why, bad as the Nazis are, a guy like this is worse. You're right, Nick. You said it, Nick. Well, Riley, you've got all the evidence you need. Mm -hmm. The package of posters in the next room, the package of stickers here, and the confession. Right, Nick. We can take over from here. Thanks. Okay, Riley. So long. So long, Nick. So long, Patsy. So long, Lieutenant. Well, Patsy, come on. Chin up. Carry on and all that sort of thing. It's not my chin that's worrying me, Nick. It's having to walk down those ten flights of stairs again. That'll be the fourth trip tonight. Why, Patsy. And at your age, too. Look, Nick, can't we just sit here on the top step for the next six hours? You think you'd be rested enough then to walk down the ten flights? I think that by then the elevators will be running again. And what a wonderful invention the elevator is. This has been another of the strange adventures of Nick Carter, Master Detective, which are brought to you regularly each week at this same time by WOR Mutual. Now, tell us a little about next week's story, Nick. Well, next week's story includes rather more adventure than actual detecting. But if Nick hadn't been able to make the first few deductions that really started him off on the right track, there would have been no adventure. And there was adventure and plenty of it. I came nearer to meeting my match when I met Dr. Donaldson than at any other time in my career. This Dr. Donaldson was a specialist in secret and dangerous poisons, and he tried one of them out on Nick. But in the end, I managed to get the better of him and solve a mystery that had the police completely stopped. We call it the empty coffin because it was an empty coffin that gave us the first clue. And it was two different doctors making out two separate death certificates for the same death that led to that first clue. Well, that's enough for now. Join us next week for the story of the empty coffin. So long. So long, folks. And so long to you, Nick and Patsy. Until next week. In the strange adventure you have just heard, Nick Carter was impersonated by Lon Clark, Patsy by Helen Choate. The story was written for Nick Carter by Barth Conry. Original music was played by Lou White. The entire production was under the direction of Jock McGregor. <laughs> Next week, at this same time, listen to another curious experience of Nick Carter entitled... The Empty Coffin. 
or Nick Carter and the mystery of the doctor's poison. This story is a copyrighted feature of Street and Smith Publications Incorporated. The return of Nick Carter is produced in the studios of WOR and is broadcast over most of these stations every Saturday evening at 7 o'clock Eastern Wartime. And don't forget that the adventures of Nick's adopted son, Chick Carter, are broadcast over most of these stations Mondays through Fridays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime. This is Mutual. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nero Wolf, followed by My Friend Irma. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.